You are listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Welcome back to the show. This is Michael Glenn Moore, and you're listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. At the beginning of our show, we would like to read reviews that people will send us on Apple uh, Podcast, and we're out. So if you would like to have a review read on the show, uh, please go to Apple Podcast and review us and rate us. So that would be, you know, that would help the show. Plus, you'll get to have your review read online. So that might be kind of exciting. I think it is. Scott, what do we got going on for today? Hey, Michael, how are you? Good to see you again. So we're, we're out of reviews. Is that what you're telling me? So I, yeah, we've caught up. We, I, I, can't, I can't invite any more of my friends. I went through my list until the rest of them get out of long-term incarceration. So we'll, uh, we'll have to punch it up a little bit. Maybe our, our guest today might have uh, a fan base out there that might generate some reviews. So um, welcome, everybody. Scott H. Silverman. This is our happy hour. And the name of the show was put together because when I did a lot of my entertaining, it was during happy hour. And I think everybody should have at least an hour a, a day uh, being happy. And what you do in that happy hour is your business. So today, our special guest is uh, Chief Nice Light. Get that right? This Light. This Light. Okay. It's spelled N-I-S-L-E-I-T. And I don't know if I've ever heard two people say it the same way. So, <laughs> you, you know, I, I've been blessed with thin hair and gray hair, and, and uh, you've got an unusual last name. Anyway, Chief Nice Light is the Chief of Police of the San Diego community, eighth largest city in the country. David is an awesome individual. I've got a 14 page resume here and I know I read it last time we, we got together and you smiled all the way through it going, God, I, I'm not going to do that. So, but, but I do, I'll just, what I'll do is I'll just share with you personally what I, what I can in, in, in a public forum. Um, San Diego, we call it America's finest city for a reason. And David is the chief right now of our San Diego police department. Some of the finest people on the planet. And you know, people always, you know, this is a very interesting time to be in law enforcement. It's actually an interesting time to support law enforcement. And I want to share with you just a quick story, David. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you or not, but back in 1984, uh, when I was in trouble um, blacking out drinking in New York City, um, well, I won't go into detail, but I passed out across from the train station and it was Sandy as New York's finest that actually picked me up. I happened to carry a badge during those days and I had a hotel key. So they thought I was there for the undercover narcotics division, the national uh, conference. And they took me back to the hotel and had they arrested me, 
or taken me in to be arrested, it would have been a real mess. So I have a, I've always had a special place in, in my heart with the issues I've had because law enforcement, from my experience, first responders were big supporters. And I know uh, we're in a very unusual environment right now, but I think the job you have as a chief, obviously, is a tough one. And I know that in our community, we're, we're seeing a lot of good, solid collaboration and cooperation with the different agencies from criminal justice to, to treatment. So uh, I'm real honored to have you here on the show today. And what I'd like to do is, is let you just kind of spend a moment or two talking about who you are and what you'd like our listeners and viewers to know about the Chief of San Diego Police. Welcome, David. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it very much, Scott. Thanks, Mike, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, something unique I, about me is I'm actually a, a native San Diego, born and raised, and, uh, you know, second-generation police officer. I followed my father's footsteps on this department. I started back in 1988, and my son is a current San Diego police officer. He's been on the department for a little over three years, but you know, joined the department back in February of 1988, and uh, you know, obviously, like everybody else, spent my first six, seven years in patrol. But I've worked all over the department, from SWAT to internal affairs, a bunch of different investigative assignments to include gangs, a couple times robbery, homicide, uh, sex crimes, internal affairs, uh, all, a lot of different jobs. And then, prior to being promoted to chief, I was the patrol chief. So I had the largest piece of the department. So, uh, you know, the nine patrol captains reported to me. I also had the homeless outreach team and, and our, our efforts for the homeless as it pertained to Hep A during that time before I got promoted. And now I've been the chief for about two and a half years. And, uh, you know, as you said, it's a very unique time. You know, 2020 kind of started off kind of slow. And then obviously COVID came, COVID-19 came and it, it, it really changed law enforcement, and I was very proud of men and women. We were coming to work every single day. Our staffing actually went up as far as people coming to work, you know, feeling that duty to uh, help protect the community. And then obviously late May, uh, the, the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by law enforcement really changed things. Uh, very difficult times of civil unrest. We were very fortunate. We really only had about a day, maybe a day and a half, we saw some looting and some rioting and some violence towards law enforcement. And we've seen little pockets here and there, especially a couple of days after the, the incident in Wisconsin. Uh, but again, now the, the protests have gone back to being very peaceful and you know, we'll refacilitate those day in, day out. We'll continue to do that. It's, we think it's important that people express their First Amendment, but difficult time for law enforcement. Um, you know, obviously, we're not without sin. We need to make improvements, but uh, there's a lot of false narrative on what's going on. And then you just saw, you know, this past or last week, you know, when you saw the two L.A. sheriff deputies attacked sitting in their car and some of the vile information or uh, message that was putting out at the hospital by just a select few. But it's still it's, you know, when you hear what the officers are being told at protests and what they're being what's being said to them, it's difficult. You know, we're human beings and we have emotions, we have goals, we have families and. So we're getting it from all sides. Our family's very concerned for us. Uh, you know, the community, you know, some can be very difficult. And then you have the defund movement and everything else. So it's just a difficult time to be in law enforcement. You know, uh, have they caught the individual that shot the sheriffs in Los Angeles yet? You know, as of last night, um, I know they uh, still even had, didn't have the person identified. I know they're, they're working around the clock to try to get this person identified. I know they've been 
trying to find some key witnesses that you can see actually in a videotape, especially one. I know the sheriffs, you know, all these sheriffs are working, like I said, 724 to try to identify this person and take them into custody. Right. And, and if I'm not mistaken, for those that don't know about the incident, these are two officers that were actually sitting in their car, probably talking to each other, uh, finishing up a call, maybe getting ready to go to one started. I don't know when they started their shift or they're ending it, but they were just literally sitting in their car talking to each other. And this individual walked up on them and fired into the vehicle. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. It came up from the passenger side, uh, struck the female deputy and the male deputy that were both just sitting inside their car. And uh, they were, from what I understand, they were on post there at the uh, metro station or train station up in L.A. Uh, we're very fortunate both of those deputies will make a full recovery. Good. Uh, I, I believe the female's already out, but the male's still in custody. It might be the other way around. I know one's uh, been released from the hospital and the other's still in ICU, but we're expected to make a recovery. That's really good to hear. I have not heard that update. So they said they probably would, but you know, the trauma from a, I can't even imagine the trauma from a, a being shot, what that's going to look like be like for them and their families for the rest of their life. Plus their, their cohorts uh, and their fellow officers. So, you know, obviously we're in the MERS in year 2020 and, and we're in the middle of this. I think, you know, some people call it the middle. I think it's going to go on for a little while. The COVID-19 piece has been around for several months now causing all sorts of changes and restrictions. What is, in the current situation in San Diego, what are you seeing in the community in terms of how people are dealing with uh, this pandemic? Yeah, that's the, the part that's been rough. You know, we're seeing our domestic violence cases are, you know, pretty much have stayed level, but they've gone up slightly lately. But what we're seeing is a lot of overdoses, a lot of deaths that way, a lot of suicides. Um, there's definitely, just like within law enforcement, there's that, that uncertainty, you know, just this past week with us possibly going back to the tier one. You know, I've talked to a lot of folks that are very upset about that. These are business owners. These are folks that thought their kids might be going to back to school. And you know, that's, that's a stressor on everybody too, is these homeschooling these kids. And, you know, that's difficult for our officers who are trying to work and trying to manage that. And so it's just a lot of unknowns, a lot of anxiety, and unfortunately, some of that's morphing into the use of drugs and alcohol and the suicides, and it's just uh, it's tragic. Let me ask you a, a direct question. As the chief of police, and, and your position, you're, you're appointed. You're not, this is not an election, uh, election office uh, like the sheriff who's elected. You get, you're hired by, I think, the mayor and the, the research team or hiring team that puts the, the names forward and the, and the mayor is who you report to, if I'm not mistaken, in our community, correct? Yeah. So I went through a nationwide search. I think there was 40 candidates across the nation and interviewed. And then I was appointed by the mayor and confirmed by the council. And I kind of twofold to the mayor and the COO of the city. Got it. So here's the question. You know, a lot of people want to call this COVID uh, political. Do, do you see it as political at all? And, and I don't mean to, to make it sound like a political question, but it just seems like we're, we're so galvanized on, you know, if you're blue, you do this, if you're red, you do that. And, it, and it's like people's hearts have been removed from their common sense and decision-making. But from your perspective, what do you think? You know, I, try, I really try to stay out of politics. I really try to pay attention to the scientific data that's, uh, that's always available daily. You know, that's how I kind of try to base the decisions on. Obviously, I'm paying attention to county health and what the directors are coming from there and also the state and just trying to keep people safe and trying to stay out of the politics. Okay. 
So what, what sorts of issues, I'm going to stay on this topic for a little bit. What sorts of issues are you seeing with your department due to COVID-19 restrictions and the negative law enforcement uh, sentiment right now that you're, you're, you're getting um, because you're the you know, first point of contact, you're the first responder, you're the, you're, 911 is usually routed to you unless it's a medical emergency. So how, how, is you, how are your people doing? How are you doing with it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, have officers and, you know, we're about 2,600 folks, you know, between sworn and civilian and, you know, we work around the clock. So this is, you know, this is hitting everybody, you know, the difficulty of managing family time and, and kids and, you know, some folks are working from home. A majority of my staff is still coming to the office every single day because we're emergency workers, we're first responders and uh, stuff that we do really can't do from remotely from home because of our computer systems and different things. You mean you can't do a domestic violence phone uh, uh, situation at, or via Zoom? You can't get them on a no, Zoom? No, we can't. So, yeah. you know, just about even our civilian workers, you know, our records clerks, our communication staff, those that, you know, will do computer stuff and, and look in, into criminal histories, that all has to be done from a desktop. We can't remote in because of the firewalls and different things. So, you know, it's anxiety just like everybody else is, when is this going to end? Uh, you know, am I going to get sick? You know, different things. They've got loved ones. And then you top that on to the narrative of law enforcement. You know, some of our officers are getting pressure from families to get out of this business. You know, we're still needing to recruit. We've been very fortunate, like un, un, other, or I should say other departments, have seen a lot of people retire. We have not seen that. I've actually seen my applications go up. Uh, just slightly, but so that's to me sends a strong message that you still have a lot of folks that want to be part of something bigger than themselves and want to join in right now. Uh, but again, you know, we're very fortunate as I've spoken to you before, you know, we're not immune from the addiction problems and the wellness problems. And I'm very lucky that we have a very well robust wellness program. Um, and we have not seen that yet, but this is stuff that we pay attention to because, you know, People are concerned and, you know, we think we're getting out of COVID and it seems like we're going backwards again and forward. And so, you know, the uncertainty for anybody is, is cause for a lot of anxiety and we're no, we're no different. Right. And, and, uh, and clearly I would assume the same issues happening, you know, with your team is, is with the rest of the community people, you know, you have two income earners in the house. Now there's only one income earner and, and we know how much, huge salaries are for law enforcement. So if there was a second income and that's gone now and kids are home, you know, you've, you've got, to, and again, it's not the kind of business where, cause somebody was talking, joking last week about, you know, if this defunding goes through, are, are they going to be able to do domestic violence on zoom calls? It's not going to happen. It's a joke. But the point is how, you know, obviously you, you've thought about it, I would assume, but this, the concept around defunding law enforcement, we need them more than ever. But I, but I think my more important question is, I feel it is, you know, the, the residual effects or this, the side effects of this impact of the stressors. And, you know, look, your people have to wear masks like we're all supposed to, but they're in contact with people all day long and not necessarily, you know, I know the homeless population, you know, the hygiene is not practiced well. And clearly, you know, their, their level of uh, consciousness around protecting each other and others around them is not as high as say somebody who's got the education. So what is it, you know, from your perspective, um, this, the things that you're experiencing with your team that was not something that probably was on your radar months ago? Well, in simple fact of COVID, of responding and really having to pay attention to, you know, your personal protective equipment. And, you know, to date, I think I've had 37 
staff members test positive for COVID. And obviously that's a concern, you know, and most of those are sworn, you know, sworn officers that are out in the field contacting folks and you can, you know, do everything you can to, to not get sick, but you know, it's inevitable when you're out in the field and different things like that. Plus we're out in the community too, that officers are going to get sick. And so then it's, you know, the contract tracing, trying to minimize it as it, you know, some commands can get more impacted than others. Initially, our Southern Division was impacted the greatest, and that also was the zip code that had the highest test rate or positive rate in, this, in the county. So that was just very interesting. But obviously, you know, officers are concerned about getting sick and bringing it home to their loved ones. And, you know, I have some that live with folks that have, you know, compromised immune systems or elderly parents, and they don't want to do that. And, so they're not seeing their parents. I haven't seen my father in about five months because he's an assisted living facility and he's under lockdown. And so, I mean, those are all the kind of stressors that our officers face um, and just like everybody else. And, you know, that's the biggest thing that I always try to convey is, you know, we're human beings and we might wear a badge and a, and a gun, but no different than anybody else. And so we have the same stressors in life as everybody else, sometimes a little bit more with what, everything that's going on right now. So, so speaking of stressors, so what types of resources do you have available? I know you mentioned wellness for your department. And by the way, I'm still waiting for my phone call. I want to be a resource. You smile. I know how busy you are, but you know what I do. And, you know, I, I was just on the, um, the uh, DA's op- opioids uh, webinar yesterday. And there was mention about a law enforcement. I, I think they said the city. I wasn't sure it's your department or not that was exposed to um, fentanyl on some sort of arrest. Was that one of your team members or another part of the community? Uh, no, we've had we've had a couple officers over the last six months get um, you know exposed to fentanyl, and that's you know that's another danger that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of overdose throughout the county on fentanyl, and so um, you know we've got a lot. We have a wellness unit, so the wellness unit consists of sworn personnel and a civilian that have extra training, and then obviously we have a what we call our focus group, which is our psychological services. We have an employee assistance program. We have peer support. And these are officers that have had you know, these kind of stressors, experiences in their life that can kind of share their experience and help somebody walk through some difficult times in their life. And then we have a, a very good and very excellent chaplain program. And we have chaplains assigned to every patrol command and some of our investigative commands. And uh, I have one that checks on me weekly. And so those are, you know, just have a whole lot of things. And hoping to get more. I know we've had conversations and I know we still need to get together uh, to kind of continue our, our conversations. Right. Cause if that doesn't happen, Michael, you know, he's in a different part of the country. He, he's got some major influencers. He'll make some phone calls and it'll get rough on you, David. So uh, <laughs> I, I want to, I want to be part of that because uh, I just think it's important. And I know, you know, my fan base and you heard it on our, on our call last month, there's a lot of people out there want to be part of and help. So tell me, how can the community, help you right now? What is it, if you were to extend your arms and go, boy, here's five things, three things we could really use in the community. What would you want the community to hear from you that you've heard from your officers and staff that we could do or, or offer or, you know, other than thoughts and prayers uh, and delivering, I understand donuts are coming and pizza's coming periodically, which is great. But I mean, from your heart to the communities, what can we do to help? I think the biggest, and it's, it's actually simple, is just, you know, you see an officer, you know, walking into a Starbucks or a different thing. It, it's simple. Just, hey, I appreciate what you, you know, what you do for a living. I appreciate you out here protecting us. Or if you see in the car, just 
just a simple wave and a say a thank you. And, you know, the, the most difficult thing we have going on right now with this narrative is convincing the officers that they still have a lot of support. And I know they do. And so the, the simple, just the words of, hey, thank you, uh, really lift up spirits. I know it does every single time someone comes up to me not realizing I'm the chief. And they'll just say, hey, I appreciate you, you know, putting yourself on the line. And it, it means a lot because, you know, at times I, I know our cops are questioning how much support we truly have and tell them how much we do. And we look at polls all the time and we have a tremendous amount of support. We're just not hearing from them. Um, so, I, you know, that's the difficult part right now is even our supporters don't really want to be vocal because they're, they're fearful that they might be targeted. So it's just the, the kind words. Thank you. It, it, it goes a long, long way two officers. I know when my son gets told it, it I know it makes his day because he tells me about it. Right. So Michael, you heard it. So when our podcast goes out in a couple of weeks, uh, for those of you that are watching, um, when you see a first responder, uh, let them know, just tell them you're grateful. And cause I'm sure they're hearing other things from other people that are unsolicited and just let them know how you feel and thank them for what they're doing. I mean, I try to whenever possible. I, I hate walking up to them, you know, especially when they have the radar guns out, but we haven't seen that for a while. Yeah. But, uh, cause we have one on our heel over off of Mount Sola. There's a couple of guys that seem to really love their job when the sun shines out. And I don't want to pull up during that situation. Cause I'm sure I'll get jacked for doing that. So tell us how, how are you personally, I see you've got a bicycle over your shoulder there. So how are you personally dealing with the situation? Because clearly, you know, even though you're probably off some parts of the day when something serious happens, my sense is your, your pager, your phone goes off and, you know, you're questioned or updated or you need to, you know, make yourself available to whatever's going on. So your, your life's probably not yours. By the way, before you answer that, you just went away on a vacation, but let's, we'll answer that question secondly. Yeah. But how do you deal with all of this personally? Yeah, you're right. I mean, so, you know, literally I'm on call seven days a week unless I leave, which I only usually leave about once a year. You know, so like last night we had multiple shootings. So I'll get calls on those. I'll get updates on those. And having, uh, you know, text conversation with other chiefs, making certain that we're putting assets in place to try to minimize these, these additional shootings that we're concerned about happening. But, you know, I've always been somebody that's very involved in, in physical fitness. And so you Probably can see not only my Peloton, but you can also probably see my road bike behind me. An avid runner, so this morning I was up at six o'clock in the morning running on a boardwalk. Uh, Orange Theory Fitness. I've always been a guy that's uh, been heavily involved in endurance sports, so that's kind of my escape. Uh, now I do carry my phone with me the whole time, no matter where I go, because I have to answer it. But that's my escape: is is you know, athletics, fitness, golf. When I can get away, uh, my wife's very involved in fitness herself. And so that's our escape. Great. So that's the other part of that question. You went on vacation. Did you have a good time? Did you kind of get a chance to decompress and forget about uh, what day-to-days look like? Yeah, it, it usually takes me a day or two to kind of decompress once I, once I get there, but it was a great trip for the wife and I to kind of get away and just reacquaint ourselves with each other and say, Hey, I'm your husband. Uh, you don't see me a whole lot cause I'm gone a lot, but it, yeah, we had a great time and we had great accommodations and it was, it was very peaceful. So let me ask a, a personal question. Um, I'm going to ask it anyway, but did you have to wear a name tag um, to make sure your wife knew who you were the first couple of days? Because I, I went through that about two years ago with my wife. I came home, she called me Jim or something. So the next <laughs> day, I came uh, home with a name tag. Because stress sometimes does that when you spend time away and now we're so close together. It's, you know, we're, uh, it, it, well, I'll, another story for another day, but uh, did you have to wear a name tag your first couple no, of days? She, she still knows who I am. Good. Very good. So, Share with us, if you would, wouldn't mind, what is your biggest regret 
if you look back over the months and years? Um, you know, being in law enforcement is very difficult and just regrets are, you know, public trust is, you know, what, what can we do better? What can I do better? You know, looking inside and kind of grading myself every single week of what can I do better? And it's just, you know, trying to get the word of what we're trying to do out there and, you know, rebuilding this police department and everything like that. So my regrets, are, you know, not being able to hire enough people to get us fully staffed because that impacts our ability to provide quicker services for those that call 911. But well, regrets, you know, mistakes, we all made them. I, I look at mistakes as my ability to become a better leader and, and learn from that. So, you know, regrets is, you know, just that I, the public trust, you know, some, there's some erosion and it's difficult because, you know, it's even being eroded from what happens, you know, on the East Coast or what happens in the, in the middle of the city has impacts here. And that's the one thing that's very difficult about our profession is even if it didn't happen in the state, it still has impact on us here. So, so a catastrophic event in Kansas or Texas or Florida that might put a, sec, a negative light on law enforcement, unfortunately, is kind of like a wave that comes over San Diego and you're impacted by it. There aren't many industries like that. And when you talk about, you know, not being, because I know the city's, you know, been understaffed because you have a, being a, a large force, you have people retiring all the time and maybe being offered, you know, opportunities to move somewhere else for, you know, 10, 15% increase, plus cost of living. San Diego is not easy. We all know that. It doesn't matter what level of income you're at, but the, the idea that you're in an, you know, in an industry that, that you can be, you can be having great numbers, good retention, awesome relationships. And then something like that hits, it, it washes over on you, whether you like it or not, then you have to deal with it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it does. And, you know, and the nice there, or the good thing is, is we have really good relationships with our community. They can be better, no doubt. But, uh, and so I think that parlays into why you haven't seen the really, the really bad civil unrest like you're seeing in, you know, Portland and Seattle and back East. You know, we had a couple of bad days and then, you know, people got peaceful. So I think that really kind of lends itself to, to our relationships and the fact that, you know, we are listening. I made some very quick changes that were, you know, that needed to happen. And I made them very, very quick. I think I was the first chief to take away the crowded restraint you know, in the nation. And so making those positive changes, I kind of, I think, opened the dialogue with our community to continue moving and we'll continue to have those dialogues. Good. So, so <clears throat> excuse me, another question for you. What have we not asked you, and I'm sure Michael's going to come up with a couple questions. What have we not asked you that we, that you'd like us to ask you? Meaning, what is it you'd like to share that I may not have thought of about asking that you think you'd uh, we, like we kind, us to yeah, We kind of touched on that, you know, and that's, you know, the little bit of the false narrative and, you know, people, I really want people to understand that, you know, we're human beings, we're part of the community. And, you know, that I know that the officers, you know, you spend a ton amount of time in the areas you work. You, know, you spend some 40, 50 hours in the community that you work and we try to keep officers in the same areas as possible. And so, you know, we just want to be seen as, as folks that really there to help, to help problem solve, to help keep the, you know, the city safe, to kind of be that gap between good and evil. And, uh, but, you know, we have, we have goals and we have dreams and, you know, we want to own the homes and want to raise our kids in a, in a safe environment, and, you know, and then go on to retire. But, we also, you know, know that it's just a dangerous job. And, you know, I've had 
my two and a half years, I've had two officers shot. I've had multiple officers shot at. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a dangerous job right now, and we're seeing it's becoming even more dangerous. I don't know if the stats bear that, but it just seems like officers are being assaulted a lot lately, to include here in San Diego. So it's just a, it's a difficult time, and, you know, just all of us, we just need to kind of put the violence down and just start having a conversation, an honest conversation, because we can all do better. And obviously, most of your sworn officers are in a march vehicle, which says they work for the San Diego Police Department, and they're in uniform, and they have a badge on. So it's not like they can, you know, blend in um, like other people do that work at, you know, restaurants or drive trucks or so on and so forth. So you're right. They're they're walking around, and they're very, very visible. So uh, last question that I can think of is if you had a magic wand, you had a magic wand, what would you like to do with it? And I'll give, I'll tell you what, I don't give anybody more than one wish, but I'll give you three because I know you dressed casually today for this interview. Yeah, just, you know, it, magic wish is just, you know, the, the violence to go away. You know, we, we had multiple shootings and, you know, just the communities to come together and, and honor our differences and, you know, and, and engage in, in, in good conversation. That would probably be my best and just, you know, understand that we have a job to do and, here to keep the community safe and just that that immediate trust community trust would be something great and this this narrative to go away uh, because i don't know of any officer that wakes up on any given morning and say hey today's a good day to shoot anybody i've done this for 32 years i've never shot anybody and that was always my goal and the majority of officers not just on our department but all departments go through a 30-year career and never fire their weapon in the field you know the only time they fire a weapon is in training and so, you know, those are some of my dreams just, as I say, a prayer every single night is to keep our first responders, you know, that includes PD, fire, and I also include the military and just, you know, keep our folks safe, keep them out of conflict and keep our community safe. And that's really my goal. And that's what we're trying to do in, in a nutshell. Uh, but unfortunately, we live in a world that has violence. And, you know, so if we could do away with violence, I'd, we wouldn't need officers, to be real honest with you in a perfect world, but that's what it is. All right. Yeah, and trying to find alternatives to that, you know, social workers, therapists, knocking, I can just see them knocking on doors at four in the morning. Hey, we hear something's going on. You want to talk about it? How about a big hug first before we start the conversation? I just don't even see that happening. But I know we have a great PERT team here in San Diego. By the way, today is uh, Rosh Hashanah, so I'll I'll put you in my prayers. Our Jewish New Year started last night, and we have uh, 10 days of it, and Yom Kippur's coming up, and I'm, I'm happy to say I don't have you on my uh, atonement list. I don't have anything I think I have to uh, atone for, at least with the San Diego PD. Not that I ever got caught for. And, and you, I know you can't pull my sheet. It's been a sponge, so it's hard to get to. But uh, if you ever want to know, let me know. So I, I think for my end, um, you know, I'll wrap up after Michael goes. Mike, do you have some questions for uh, the chief? Well, I just want to ask him a, a simple question. Uh, being that you're in charge of such a large squad, what is the work-wise, what is the hardest part of what you do? Yeah, the, the hardest part for me, and it's always been the hardest part since I got into, you know, management is, but now as the chief, is, is really sending my folks into harm's way. You know, I know we're at the tip of the spear. I have some units that really go after those that are the, the extremely violent folks. And knowing that I'm giving them a mission that puts them in harm's way it's difficult. Uh, you know, like I said, I've had two officers shot. I've had multiple other officers shot at. And that's difficult because I know they have family. And, you know, and 
think we all know when you enter this profession that there's always a chance that you won't return home from your shift. But knowing that I'm the one that's giving the directive to go out there and, and do this job, it, it's difficult. It, it weighs heavy on you. And I know I've spoken to other chiefs, too, from big cities, and that's the same thing with them. Is You know you're asking people to go into harm's way, but I feel good about it because I also put myself in harm's way for multiple years. I was on specialized units doing the same thing, so I feel comfortable with that. I, I feel comfortable that we're well-trained, we're well-equipped, um, that we'll be successful. Well, Scott, before we get uh, the chief to give his final quote, uh, you haven't mentioned your phone number. Uh, I was just wondering if you want to go ahead and do that. Yeah, uh, well, well, first, thanks very much, David, and uh, the Chief of San Diego Police Department being with us here today. Really appreciate your time. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of things like, you know, you want to build trust and you want people to understand what you do. Those are really good headlines, but I'd like to maybe do a deeper dive one day and figure out what, what does that actually translate to? What would that mean? Give somebody four or five ideas and how do we do that? Because I know you've got, you know, different groups that are overseeing what you do and taking action, but I think there's a, Personally, I think there's a disconnect with the, the community and the popo, if you will, not really understanding. And, and you're right. You, you, these are people who, if we were all at the beach naked, you'd have no idea. I mean, we used to do a big cleanup downtown when I was at Second Chance and we put everybody in a T-shirt. And you didn't know if somebody was a retired, unlicensed pharmacist or a judge or a lawyer or uh, you know, a teacher or a restaurateur or someone who's retired. You don't know. But, you know, so in some ways, it's almost like because you're labeled, there's a stigma that goes along with that. You know, in my industry with substance abuse addiction, we're always trying to reduce stigma. So it'd be nice maybe to talk about how we could help each other, at least that way, because I think from a PR perspective, um, when you say it and ask for it, it's, it's kind of like when I say to others, hey, you know, you'd really need to get your kid to stop drinking. That doesn't right. really translate to yeah. people's brain. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's just like, isn't it a nice day? Well, if someone's having a bad day, it doesn't matter what you say to them. So That's with true. that, you know, again, thank you for being here today. And I really appreciate your time. I know this is probably you know, almost like a, you know, half a day off for you, but uh, it's Scott H. Silverman's happy hour. And if, if you need anything or I can be of any help, or if you have questions or concerns uh, that I can, you know, move over to the chief, I don't actually have his contact info, but I have Sarah's and she's very good at getting information to him. So one day I'll get his phone number, then I'm going to retire. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking I'll, for. I'll send it to you, Scott, through Sarah. Absolutely. You can have my cell number. No problem. Yeah, I've heard that before, and I've been disappointed. <laughs> no, so, sounds like a three. Yeah, I'm not going to bother you unless I have to. So call me, please, 619-993-2738. Scott A. Silverman's Happy Hour. We're here to be of help. Let us know what we can talk about. Let us know who should we, we should be talking to. And if you like what you hear, go online, give us a review, and let us know what we can do to improve the way we're trying to help you improve what it is you want to see in the community. Okay, Chief, why don't you go ahead and give us your quote, and that will end us for today. Yeah, it's, it's a quote that I, I tell new recruits. It's also a quote that I tell to folks of when, who I just promoted. I say, to whom much is given, much is expected. 